0: of going verse by verse we're going to pick out some highlights Uh, and in Jeremiah chapter 11 in fact as we've gone through this there are a lot of passages a lot of verses that repeat things that Jeremiah has already addressed and as I mentioned uh, the first part of the book of Jeremiah it is believed is a kind of a compilation of different things poems things lectures That Jeremiah has and he's kind of put it together Uh, and so a little bit later on when we go through different parts We'll be able to figure out this was during this part of Israel's history and that part But today as we come to chapter 11 first of all in the beginning the first um, 11 verses uh, Is similar to what we've already gone through The Lord entered into a covenant relationship with the Jews and uh, first Israel uh, failed him and broke the covenant and uh, the Lord is chasing them by bringing them into Assyrian captivity uh, and now the only nation left when it, the, the divided nation was Judah and of course Jeremiah's ministry is to them and uh, he, he picks up with this theme if you look at verses 1 and following the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying hear ye the words of this covenant and speak unto the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So God is telling Jeremiah, "I want you to, I want you to review the words of my covenant, because they have failed me." And then in verses eight, um, in fact, look at verse eight. He said, "Yet yeah, they obeyed not, nor inclined their ear, but walked every one in the imagination of their evil heart. Therefore, I will bring upon them all the words of this covenant." Remember. When God established a covenant with Israel, he gave the blessings and the curses. If you walk with me, these are the blessings. If you forsake me and my word, these are the curses. And he says, I'll bring upon them all the words of this covenant, which I commanded them to do, but they did not. So let's jump in. We're going to look at verse 9 and following because we find a theme. In fact, look at verse 9, an interesting statement from God. The Lord said unto me, A conspiracy is found among the men of Judah, and among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, a conspiracy. As you know, that we've talked uh, we've talked about this before in Isaiah. Again, very similar, the prophet to the same people uh, that Isaiah, uh, through when he was ministering to King Ahaz, at a, a different time but the, the Jews. And he said, say not ye a confederacy a confederacy. That's in Isaiah 7 and 8. We may review some of that briefly because the rest of this chapter has to do, first of all, with God charging Israel and saying there's a conspiracy against me. And then sharing that there was a real conspiracy against Jeremiah from the people of his own village, from his own hometown. Anathoth, Uh, it's written in there several times. We'll look at it. We'll see what it says. But it was his own hometown. And we're going to see that there was a real conspiracy against Jeremiah when his own people were talking about killing him. Uh, You know, I did a message a little while back in this text called um, Don't Ignore the Messenger. And this, if I was going to title this, I'm not going to title it this, but I I would title it, um, you know, Don't Shoot the Messenger. That's a saying that you use. When somebody's just giving you a message, uh, they're not the originator of the message. You don't want to take it out on the deliverer of the message. And that's exactly what's happening here. Jeremiah was just the messenger, just giving them God's message. Their problem was with God. And and that's a common problem. It happened back with Samuel when Samuel, uh, when the people of Israel wanted a king like the other heathen nations. Uh, Samuel got to take it personal because they were coming to him with their complaint. We don't want God to be our king. We want to have kings. And God had to talk to Samuel and say, they've not rejected you. They've rejected me. And and so this is kind of the same thing. So let's jump in, just spend a little bit of time looking at this idea of a conspiracy. Again, verse 9, the Lord said unto me, a conspiracy is found among the men of Judah and among the inhabitants of Jerusalem. What is a conspiracy? Uh, let's, let's just talk about that. In fact, some have translated this uh, as a mutiny or a revolt, which it could be. King James translators use this same Hebrew word, and in Isaiah 7 or 8, they translated it a confederacy. Here, it's translated a conspiracy, and it's all the same thing. So what is a conspiracy. That, by the way, the word conspiracy wasn't even around back in these times. It, it's, it's an English word that comes from the Latin. And uh, the, the Latin word conspire uh, was to agree or to plot together. And that's what was going on. There was a plot. There was a, a revolt, a mutiny in, in the making. Uh, here's the definition of conspiracy. A combination of men or people for an evil purpose an agreement between two or more persons to commit some crime in concert, particularly a combination to commit treason or excite sedition or insurrection against the government, a conspiracy against the life of a king. And then the second definition, in law, it's an agreement between two or more persons falsely and maliciously to indict or procure to be indicted an innocent person in a felony. Now, in the book of Acts, in fact, turn there real quick, keep your place here. We'll be brief, but look at Acts keep your place in, in Jeremiah, keep a marker in Jeremiah 11. Turn to Acts chapter 23. Cuz we haven't when we've talked about conspiracies, I don't think we've even looked at this one. Look at look at Acts chapter 23. And beginning in verse 12, once I get there, Everybody there? Acts chapter 23, beginning of verse 12. And when it was day, certain of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under a curse, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. And they were more than 40 which had made this conspiracy. This is, remember, what's the word conspiracy? It's a plot, mutiny, you know, revolt. And these people, 40 of them, had agreed together that they would neither um, eat nor drink until Paul was dead. Listen to how this, listen to, in fact, this is a good lesson that, uh, that Jeremiah would have to learn and that King Ahaz would have to learn in Isaiah. Look at, look at what happens. Verse 14. And they came to the chief priests and elders and said, We have bound ourselves under a great curse that we will eat nothing until we have slain Paul. Now therefore ye with the council signify to the chief captain that he bring him down unto you tomorrow as though ye would inquire something more perfectly concerning him. Notice the deception. Conspiracy is always, you know, a secretive thing, a, a secret plot to kill or overthrow. And so they said, um, we're going we're gonna to come to you under these pretenses as though you would inquire something more perfectly concerning him and we or ever uh, would he come near are ready to kill him. Wow, that's that's pretty dastardly, isn't it? I wonder, how, wonder how, how many conspiracies are going on against you and against me. Look at verse sixteen. By the way, I'm just I'm just saying that uh, not to get you fearful, but um, to, to we want to learn the broader lesson because there was a conspiracy against Jeremiah, and God had something to say about that. So look at verse 16. And when Paul's sister's son, Paul's nephew, heard of their lying in wait, he went and entered into the castle and told Paul. And Paul said, We're just going to trust the Lord and not do anything. He didn't say that. Look at verse 17. Then Paul called one of the centurions unto him and said, Bring this young man unto the chief captain, for he hath a certain thing to tell thee. Tell him. So he took him and brought him to the chief captain. And said, Paul the prisoner called me unto him and prayed me to bring this young man unto thee who hath something to say unto thee. And the chief captain took him by the hand and went with him aside privately and asked him, What is that that thou hast to tell me? And he said, The Jews have agreed to desire thee that thou wouldest bring down Paul tomorrow into the council as though they would inquire somewhat of him more perfectly. But do not thou yield unto them, for they lie in wait for him, uh, for they lie... In wait for him of them more than forty men, which have bound themselves with an oath that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now are they ready, looking for a promise from thee. So the chief captain then let the young man depart and charged him, See thou, tell no man that thou hast showed these things unto me. And he called unto him two centurions, saying, Make ready two hundred soldiers to go to Caesarea, and horsemen three score and ten, and spearmen two hundred at the third hour of the night and provide them beasts, that they may set Paul on and bring him safe unto Felix the governor. So this wise move, this finding out about the conspiracy, enabled Paul to be able to pull some strings and get the message to a person that could save him and protect his life. Now let's go back to Jeremiah chapter 11. So we find two two conspiracies here in Jeremiah chapter 11. One of them is a conspiracy against God. Which is amazing. People are conspiring against God. First of all, you can't do anything in secret against God. (laughs) He knows exactly uh, what is going on. But there is this conspiracy. It's clearly worded that way. Again, look at verse, um, verse 9. The Lord said unto me, "...a conspiracy is found among the men of Judah and among the inhabitants of Jerusalem." They are turned back to the iniquities of their forefathers. Remember the word turn uh, is a very important Hebrew word that's translated turn. And this is a theme throughout the book of Jeremiah. They have turned away from the Lord. He has challenged them to turn back to Him. uh, So this word turn is significant. They are turned back to the iniquities of their forefathers, which refused to hear my words, and they went after other gods to serve them, The house of Israel and the house of Judah have broken my covenant, which I made with their fathers. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will bring evil upon them, which they shall not be able to escape. And though they shall cry unto me, I will not hearken unto them. Then shall the cities of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem go and cry unto the God, small g, unto whom they offer incense. But they shall not save them at all in the time of trouble." according to the number of thy cities were thy gods, and he goes on and kind of repeats some things that we've already looked at in this this book uh, where he is talking. He is at the point now where they are irreversibly um, committed to their apostasy and the Lord has, in fact, he even said, look at verse 14, Therefore, pray not thou for this people. There's a time to pray. And and when, when things are desperate, we need to pray. But what a sad time when God says, don't pray anymore. Prayer is not going to work for them. Therefore pray not thou for this people, neither lift up a cry for, uh, or prayer for them, for I, for I will not hear them in the time that they will cry unto me for their trouble. Uh, what a sad, sad time in Israel's history. And it's interesting that uh, the term that God uses is a conspiracy. I want to read to you a quote from uh, one of the commentators and theologians on this that uh, I think might summarize it because it, it's it's an interesting word that he uses. And, and um, I think it's A.J. A. Thompson made this statement. He said, There was no deep laid plot, no secrecy behind the apostasy that Jeremiah witnessed. Although religiously, Judah displayed all that a carefully organized plot would achieve. The metaphor is a pointed one. The net result of apostasy was the renunciation of God's lordship, Yahweh's lordship, and the nation's covenant obligations. So in other words, there was a mutiny going on in that sense, in that the people were revolting against God, and it was a concerted effort. Uh, In fact, now we will see as we move in that their attitude towards Jeremiah was a clear sign of this rebellion or this revolt against God. And so look at verse 18 and 19. And the Lord hath given me knowledge of it, and I know it. Then thou showest me their doings. That's an interesting statement that apparently it's maybe a little clearer in the Hebrew But all we need to do is look to the next verse to know what's happening. Apparently there was something going on in Jeremiah's hometown with his family and his home people, uh, and he did not know about it. And it is God, that verse 18 is, the Lord let him in on this. And this was a genuine conspiracy against Jeremiah. Look at verse 18 again. The Lord hath given me knowledge of it, was added, and I know it. Then thou showest me their doings. So whatever the Lord let him know, it was was about some other people. Look at verse 19. But, this is talking about his ignorance of the plot. But I was like (coughs) like a lamb or an ox that is brought to the slaughter. And I knew not that they had devised devices against me. That's the conspiracy. There was this plan to silence the messenger. They were sick and tired of Jeremiah preaching for them to repent. And so there was a plot from his own home people. uh, And he said, I was like a lamb or an ox that is brought to the slaughter. I knew not that they had devised devices against me, saying, Let us destroy the tree with the fruit thereof. Let us cut him off from the land of the living, that his name may be no more remembered. What an amazing thing. In time past, uh, I, I have always been fascinated by kind of a parallel passage that was from an earlier prophet to the, to the people of Israel. And, um, and that would be uh, during, it was during the time when the northern tribe was around, but it was to the southern kingdom of Judah. And um, it was to King Ahaz. And Isaiah was the prophet. And Isaiah, in chapter 7, we won't go into there for time's sake, But in Isaiah chapter 7, verses 4 through 9, it articulates this plot. Um, King Ahaz was an evil king. He had reigned since he was young, since he was late teens, with his father Jotham. And then um, then he reigned for 16 years on on his own. And in 2 Kings 16 and 2 Chronicles 28 is a a record of his destructive practices. Listen to what King Ahaz did. He made false images to Baal. He revived the worship of Moloch in the valley of Hinnom, and horror of horrors, he burnt his children in the fire, part of their Baal, their 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 false gods. And now, King Ahaz, who was the king of Judah, was in danger of peril because there was a conspiracy. You had the king of Damascus and the king of Samaria who were planning to overthrow and conquer young King Ahaz. And, and he knew about it. And he was petrified. And it tells us about the plot in Isaiah chapter 7. And let me just read to you chapter 8. This is the one you've probably heard from me many times. But when Isaiah met King Ahaz at a certain place, he t- tells him what God says. And it says in Isaiah 8 verse 10, "...take counsel together, and it shall come to naught. Speak the word, and it shall not stand." For God is with us. For the Lord spake thus to me with a strong hand and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people, saying, because this was what was happening to the people of Judah, with King Ahaz and his court, they were all in a tizzy because of this threat. And now Jer- Isaiah comes and says, "Say ye not, Isaiah 8:12. Say ye not, confederacy." uh, to all those people to whom you shall say, a confederacy. Remember, that's the same. Don't say, it's a conspiracy. Now, you and I might stop and say, wait a minute, Isaiah. There is a conspiracy going on. What do you mean, don't say? But he, he would go on. He said, don't say, a confederacy. Neither, here was the point, don't fear ye their fear. And then he says this, which we'll look at as we close, and Peter would quote from this text. He says in Isaiah 8, verse 13, Sanctify the Lord of hosts himself, and let him be your fear, and let him be your dread, and he shall be for a sanctuary. That's a place of security. But a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the house of Israel for a jinn and for a snail, snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So you get, God bless you, Gore. You get a hundred bucks for that. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, God, it's so cold. I love cold water. It's beautiful. <laughs> anyway, um, so what he's saying is he's saying, you know, when he says don't say a confederacy, he's not saying just close your eyes, bury your head in the sand and it's all going to go away. He's not saying that. But he, he is talking about how they're responding. They are panicking. They're freaking out, to use our word today. They're so anxious and overwhelmed. Because this is a legitimate threat. But not to God. And God sends a prophet and says, Stop magnifying this. Don't say a conspiracy or a confederacy. Don't fear their fear. That's the bottom line. He's saying, rather fear God. And sanctify, set apart Him. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. And then the weird statement he says, and he shall be a sanctuary for you. Remember what the Bible says in Proverbs? In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence and his children shall have a place of refuge. Now you would think that the fear of God is just the opposite. But it's not. When you and I magnify God and make him the biggest thing whether the threat, the biggest power, the biggest force in our life then it puts everything into into perspective. And the problem is we are making God too small and human problems too big. And when that happens, that's when we panic and that's when we say a conspiracy and we get all freaked out about that. And so, look at Jeremiah chapter 11 and verse 20, but oh Lord of hosts, here's Jeremiah Doing this thing because he's now aware of this conspiracy against him from his own hometown people. And he says, O oh Lord of hosts, that judgest righteously, that triest the reins of the heart, let me see thy vengeance of them, for unto thee have I revealed my cause. Therefore, thus saith the Lord uh, of the men of Anathoth, that was uh, Jeremiah's hometown, that seek thy life, saying, Prophesy not in the name of the Lord, that thou die not by our hands. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will punish them. The young men shall die by the sword. Their sons and their daughters shall die by famine. And there shall be no remnant of them. For I will bring evil upon the men of Anathoth, even the year of their visitation. Now let's close by going to First Peter chapter 3. Because Peter qu- quotes this this concept that was from Isaiah that's really what uh, Jeremiah is con- conveying. And he's, he's putting it in a New Testament context, which is great. Remember the things of, that were written aforetime were our, written for our learning. You know we don't need to fear the you know the king of Damascus and the, the king of Samaria. We don't need to fear them, but there are other things we do fear. And look what Peter says in 1 Peter three thirteen. Who is he that will harm you, if he be followers of that which is good? So they were. By the way, this was a Peter was writing to people to confirm they were new Christians to go over the gospel. And to also address the issue of suffering, which they were experiencing. Verse 14. But and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. And then he quotes from Isaiah chapter 8, verse 15 in, in 1 Peter 3. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear our challenge if we can learn from jeremiah is it does not matter what goes on in our life who who opposes us whether it's the government whether it's you know unbelievers you and i we need to have a bigger god than our problems and the people that we face and we do have a bigger god and we need to set him apart in our heart We need to let Him be our fear and Him him be our dread. Because in the fear of the Lord comes peace and wisdom. And that needs to be our challenge. I share this. um, I was thinking about this more and more in my own life. and I've come to realize that over the years there have been things that I have put my trust in more than God alone. And two things that come to my mind, and I shared this a while back some years ago. Uh, I had been pastoring here for many years. And um, any pastor that's been at a church for a while has pretty much, you get to experience all kinds of interesting things, all kinds of difficult things, all kinds of criticisms. You cannot be in ministry and not be criticized. Uh, And and God uses that. That is a refining fire. Uh, And so I'd been criticized about everything I could think of except for one thing, and this became an issue of pride. Because I heard a lot of other pastors where they would get criticized and one of the things that would wound them deeply is when someone would say this and and for decades nobody ever said this to me and I would find that when I got criticized I would take comfort in the fact that here's what I would say to myself well you know what at least no one has ever said I'm not getting fed by your preaching because I'd never heard that for decades and it became a thing of pride in other words you know anytime I'd get criticized oh you Hey, but you know what? No one ever said I'm not getting fed, and then somebody said it, <laughs> and then someone said it, and um, and and it hurt, and it, it it hurt my pride, and I shared with the congregation after that that it's okay because I needed that, and I really did need that because I was, I was, you know, kind of that was kind of like a a crutch, that was kind of something that I was finding comfort in. Now since that time, I have. You know that was like the last crutch, and I, 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 there's been times when I've been wobbling, thinking, "Man, maybe I do stink, and maybe I should just give it up." And I mean, I mean, really, I've gone through these things, uh, and maybe I do. You know, and you're all like, "He's getting it, he's getting it." <laughs> but here's the key: that was a stumbling but That became a thing of pride, and and it's like the Lord took it away. He said, "You know what? I don't want I don't want you trusting in things that people say or don't say. I want to be I want to be your everything." I want you to depend completely on me so that you're not thinking anything else but, Lord, I need you. Second thing, I think I've shared this too. For decades, I had never gotten in a car accident. In high school, I was in a car accident because my best friend was driving, but I'm going to blame him. I was never driving and got into an accident. Never. For decades. And then a couple years ago, because that was, you know, everyone else in my family, you know, different people had accidents. And, and then whenever somebody would criticize my driving, which they have, I would say, I would think in my mind, you know, it was, my, it was my little secure thing. Well, at least I never got in a car accident. And then I share with you that it was a couple years ago. I was pulling out of my driveway and I backed right into my neighbor's car and put a dent in there. My record is gone. I can no longer say I've never had an accident. I mean, it's like the Lord's just saying, alright, Lion, how many crutches you got? What do you trust in And Boom, that's going out. Boom, that's going out. And He's just knocking all the, all the things that I would humanly hold to. He's just taking them away. But you know what? I'm convinced that God is doing that because He doesn't want me having those crutches or things that I would trust on or things that could become prideful. He wants me... To glory in Him and Him alone. So that He is my trust. And you know what? That's what we all have to learn. We need to make God our everything. Jeremiah needed to do that in the face of threats of death. You and I need to do that no matter what our future holds. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Please help us to learn from Jeremiah. And this whole idea of, yes Lord, there are, there are conspiracies. Uh, Even like Paul, where he did need to act and be wise and and foresee the evil and hide himself, and he did do that. Lord, we need to do that. Uh, But we need to ultimately uh, just trust that you are in control. So help us, again, to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Help us to learn this lesson that Jeremiah needed to learn, uh, that he would just look to you to vindicate himself. And we'll thank you for it. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.